The Lord be with you. Good morning, church. Ah, it's good to be with you today, this wonderful, lovely Sunday outside, and it's lovely in here too. I mean, it's not too hot, not too cold, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, one of those places to be uh, this morning, and I am the Reverend Ryan Slifka, and uh, I am minister among all the ministers of Christ here that make up uh, this church, minister meaning helpers of Christ, and the Reverend Ingrid Brown is away this week, and uh, Francis Bindernagel, our summer student, will be uh, is conducting the children's uh, program outdoors uh, today, and simply, quite simply, I want to offer each and every person who's gathered in this space or gathered in cyberspace. Do we even use the word cyberspace anymore? Is that not a cool word to use anymore? I feel like maybe that's, circ- maybe that's 2005 or something like that. But uh, either way, uh, we are delighted to have uh, all of y'all gathered in uh, the sanctuary today and all of y'all gathered around your devices and screens as well. Our mission at St. George's United Church is inviting inspiring and investing in the way of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the welcome is as deep as possible. Jesus welcomed all to the table. He welcomed uh, those who were on fire with the Spirit, those who had their doubts, uh, those who were doing quite well in life, and those who weren't doing well at all, and invited them to a life of transformation. And we hope that uh, you experience nothing less than the unconditional love of God in this place or online as we worship. Grace is what we call it, and a word we're rather fond of in the church. It really grows on you if you don't use it very often. It feels good. Grace. Grace. Yeah, that's good. It's a good word. Um, if, you are, if you are new today, um, uh, uh, zooming in, and I guess we don't do Zoom anymore, but if you're new today online, if you could fill out, uh, fill out a connection card online, stgeorgesunited.com slash connect. Sign up for our weekly newsletter and we will, we will donate $5 to our charitable partner for this year, which is Lush Valley Food Action Society because we believe that, that grace flows to us and on its way to somebody else in the world. And um, if you're here for the first time, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll just donate. We'll just don't, you, you signed up at the front. We're just going to donate $5 because you showed up. It was the easiest $5 you ever made in your life. Um, but we're simply glad to have you here. Um, and uh, next slide, please. So masks are now required for all in worship as per the guidelines of uh, the region of the United Church of Canada. And um, so, but all the other rules are the same as usual, and uh, we will have refreshments outdoors on the lawn after church, just out, out front there. We should have some, some treats and some, some refreshments, so if you're new especially, we encourage you to, to uh, grab something there, and we'd like to get to know you a bit better as you visit. And um, some more news too, uh, you probably read in this week's email, but if you didn't, um, that uh, we received, uh, last year we received what's called a Faithful Footprints grant from uh, the United Church of Canada, and uh, we replaced our oil furnace, we replaced our, heat, uh, and we installed heat pumps in all of our offices, and uh, thus far our energy costs are down 59.5%, electricity use down 55 and greenhouse gas emissions down 27.7. So that's pretty impressive. And... Um, 
Uh, thank, thanks to all the property committee uh, members that made that possible. You know who you are, and our, our, um, we'll be having prayers later for our, our property committee chair, Nancy, who actually fell and broke her, her arm. Um, she's okay, uh, but please hold her in your prayers and we'll pray for her. But N Nancy was, was instrumental in making this possible, uh, but she couldn't be here to bask in the glory, unfortunately. Um, next slide, please. Um, so we'll be beginning our Ten Commandments church-wide series beginning September 12th um, until November 21st, and uh, we'll be having a variety of, of, of enjoyable things, and in, in worship we'll be engaging in the Ten Commandments. We'll, have, we'll also have a uh, Bible study, a hybrid Bible study for Zoom and on Zoom and in person, and, you know, pending conditions, of course. We, you know, we plan ahead, but, but we know that our plans can only go so far. And, um, and if you are not able to participate in, in one of the groups on Zoom or online, um, please, uh, you can purchase the book that we're, next slide, the book that we're using, which is Words of Life, Jesus and the Promise of the Ten Commandments for Today by Adam Hamilton. And you can, uh, you can order that yourself online, however you want to do that, um, or you can order it through the church website or the church office. We have a sign-up sheet in the narthex, the fancy word for entrance, <laughs> the church word for entrance, on the way out. If you want to sign up uh, for that and just indicate how you'll be paying, we'll get you a copy by, if you sign up by next Sunday, we'll be able to get you a copy in time to participate, to read along each week as we go through each of the commandments. It'll be exciting. It'll be good. Uh, hopefully you're as excited as me. And one final um, uh, item um, uh, is uh, we want to thank our, our, our summer student, Francis Bindernagel, who's actually outside with the children, right now leading Children's Church. Uh, you can see this picture of Francis hard at work um, you know, washing the, the windows in my office, and I thought that would be a perfect picture to get of Francis to show how diligent he is. Um, he's been a stellar help with, with camp, with Children's Church custodial administration, washing windows, and uh, much, much, much more. We have a gift plan for him, but as he's out there with the kids today, we'll, we'll offer that to him a, at another time. And we just want to thank Francis for his hard work and dedication to our community of faith. And uh, if you see Francis on your way out, be sure to give him your gratitude on behalf of the church, and we'll give him a little round of applause. Maybe he'll hear it from outside, maybe. I don't know. And I think that's it for announcements. So many announcements, but so many good things happening. So, so if we didn't have anything to announce, then that, that's when we would be in trouble. So take a moment. Take in a deep breath in. And let it out. Turn your cell phone off or on silent so you can give your focus uh, to this place to open yourself up to God's presence. Please join me in the call to worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us pray. Unchanging God, you have blessed us forever through the beloved one, Jesus Christ our Lord. Born again by your word of truth, let us live out your love doing your word, caring for the weak and vulnerable in their distress, and ever pursuing your reign of justice. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Dear friends, so wonderful to see you today again. Thank you for inviting me to um, take over for Kara, who's away on holiday. And um, I'd like to ask you to stand, please, and join me in joyful, joyful, we adore you. Sing out as much as you can, and uh, can they sing behind their mask? Sing behind your mask, yeah. yeah. I'm the only one that can take the breath. <laughs> so. And um, yeah, let's, let's hear it. And thank you for our few choir members that we can manage to have, I guess, during the week. We just can have three, and um, it's wonderful to have them here. Now is the time for the uh, prayer of confession. Let us confess our sins to our loving God who calls us close through our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us pray. Loving, righteous God, our hearts are defiled with the wickedness you hate. You have called us to yourself, but we have gone away. 
Forgetting your living word, we cling to dead traditions. Deceiving ourselves, we abandon your commandments. Hypocrites, we honor you with our lip, while our hearts are far from you. Cleanse our hearts from evil intentions. Cleanse our tongues from evil words, so that our worship may be pure and undefiled, and we may live with you in love for others. Amen. O Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. O Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. O Lamb of God, who takes the sin of the world, grant us peace. And the good news of the gospel is that God is indeed a God of mercy. God is indeed a God of forgiveness. God is indeed a God of grace. There is no sin too great to break through God's great wall and wave of forgiveness for all creation, including you. So I declare to you today, in the name of Jesus Christ, that your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven, freed, made new. Dare to believe in this great good news. Amen. Today we are going to um, have a Hawaiian song and um, just remembering all our people across the world in different languages um, in, at um, 103 in your hymnal, Ka Mano Io, Ka Mana O Io. So I hope that you can um, join us with these, yeah, with these lovely sounds of the Hawaiian people. Today's scripture reading is from the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, 
beginning at verse 8. Listen for the word of God. The voice of my beloved. Look, he comes leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice is heard of the turtle dove in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in bloom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. This, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the past few weeks, our scripture readings have featured Solomon, one of the most famous kings in the Old Testament, the son of the greatest king, King David, renowned for his wisdom and the fact that he built the temple in Jerusalem. In addition to being a figure in Israel's history, though, Solomon is also known as one of the authors of the Bible. Though scholars debate whether or not he really wrote them, according to tradition, Solomon is known as the author of the books known as the writings or wisdom literature, if you like. And this includes the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, which today's scripture is drawn from. And this is only one of two instances in the whole calendar of church readings where this one shows up. So I thought, I might as well just talk about the whole book, which is what I'm going to do today. Now, you may have noticed in listening to this particular text is that it's a bit of an oddity when it comes to Bible readings. You might have deduced that it's a straightforward poem. You might have also recognized that it is a straightforward love poem about a woman who's been holed up for the winter, whose lover finally arrives back home with the buds and new blooms of spring, ready to whisk her off her feet and away. It would make a decent romance novel cover, you, you could say, right? And finally, you probably have noticed that within this straightforward love poem, there's no mention of religious stuff at all. No commandments, no angels, no miracles, no covenants, and most starting, starting, startlingly, startlingly, I was startled by startlingly, startlingly, no God. 
no mention of God. And combine these three things with the fact that there are some sexual undertones, and you may be left wondering why such a book is in the Bible at all. Too poetic, too steamy, not enough God. It really doesn't fit with our normal expectations of holy book material at all. And yet, here it is, in the middle of the Bible, more or less, and sacred scripture for Christians and Jews alike. Why is that? Why would they include something like that, like this, in the Bible? Well, there are several answers to this question. I'm going to give you three answers to this question, and each answer is related, and each flows one to the other. The first has to do with the surface reading of this text as a poem. And this answer has to do with something of an awkward topic in church, which is sex, right? To be a little bit more clear, the goodness of human love and sexual attraction. Now, the Bible and Christians have developed a bit of a bad reputation on this particular front. Part of it has to do with some versions of Christian theology that see the spiritual as pure, while the body is something to be transcended or discarded. And some of us carry deep stories of shaming, condemnation, and fear on account of that. So that's that's out there in the popular imagination. But the fact that the Bible contains this very steamy ancient love poem suggests otherwise. The longing these two lovers feel for each other is presented very positively. And then there's the fact that the man is pictured as a stag and spring is front and center. It's a not-so-subtle allusion to the birds and the bees, you could say. In this way, it's a direct allusion to the creation of Adam and Eve, the first people in Genesis chapter 1, created for intimate relationship. One of their very first instructions was to be fruitful and multiply, and I'll leave that to your imagination as to exactly what that means. And Jesus himself riffs on Genesis 1 as well when he says that a man leaves his family and he clings to his wife and they become, quote, one flesh. Again, I'll leave that one to your imagination as well. This isn't to say that the Bible affirms everything sexual across the board without discernment. Monogamy and fidelity are assumed, and like all good gifts of God, it can be twisted, destructive, marred by sin and selfishness. This shadow side, this shadow side of sexuality is something that modern secular culture is extremely naive about. But the first reason the Song of Solomon is in the Bible is an affirmation of the goodness of human love desire and attraction it is a gift from god and that's the sort of surface level reading that's what the poem says plainly and that's the surface level reading of things it's not the only level though it's not even the primary level that this text has been read through the history of the church actually the venerable bead you all know the venerable bead right Right? No, of course you don't. Not the venerable bead. He was a seventh century English monk and Bible commentator. He once said that the Song of Solomon testifies that it intends nothing fleshly 
or literal when it speaks, but wants to be understood spiritually and typically in its entirety. That is to say that the book is meant to be taken beyond the face value and to be read allegorically or symbolically. Okay? If Bede says it, that settles it, right? <laughs> you can start saying that. If Bede said it, I believe it, that settles it. <laughs> oh. Which leads to the second reason that this song is in the Bible. It's because from the beginning, Jews have read this book as an allegory or symbol of the relationship between God and God's people Israel. That God desires an intimate relationship with God's people that's analogous to a marriage covenant, right? God loves God's people in the same passionate way that one ideally loves a spouse, in terms of giving oneself unconditional fidelity, sticking by them through thin and thin, God is painted as the best and most ultimate committed romantic partner. I mean, what's interesting about this view, too, is that it isn't a marriage where both people are putting in 100% if you read the Bible, right? God and Israel aren't exactly equal partners in the relationship. In fact, Israel is often portrayed as an unfaithful spouse. In the book of Hosea, the book of Hosea is probably the most prominent example which stars Hosea, who is a prophet, and his wife Gomer, who is, I know, it's, you don't hear Gomer as a name very often, maybe Gomer Pyle, but I don't know if that's... But Gomer, who is maddeningly unfaithful. No matter what, though, Hosea refuses to give her up. His loyalty to her can't be broken by her disloyalty to him. And in this case, she's meant to be a stand-in for Israel, for God's people, and he's a stand-in for God. Now, truth be told, there are some deeply patriarchal assumptions in that book. You wouldn't write a book that same way again. But the central point still stands, that in spite of worshiping false gods, committing violence, or getting into wars in spite of their faults, failures, falling short, in spite of their sins, God refuses to give up on God's people. In this poem, God is revealed as the lover who bounds over hills and valleys to come searching for Israel, his long-lost love who's been isolated, trapped in a winter of her own making. And in the same way God brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt, in the same way God rescued God's people from Bab exile in Babylon, taken captive far from home, God brings the spring-like promise of a new and better day, singing, Arise, my fair one, and come away, even during Israel's darkest hour. It's texts like these that are always a reminder uh, to Jews especially, of God's faithfulness, that God has carried them throughout the darkest times in history. And in this way, it's really an analogy for that word I used earlier, grace. Grace, God's unmerited, unconditional, one-way love for each of us. It's all about grace. The life of faith isn't about earning or performing in exchange for love, it's about being loved, warts and all. 
of God's faithfulness to us in spite of all that we do wrong. God is the, uh, God is the best and most committed partner there could be. God is passionately and unbreakably committed to God's people. That's the second reason, okay? That's reason number two, okay? Now, there's yet another symbolic layer here, okay? There's another layer, for Christians anyway. And it has to do with, believe it or not, Jesus. It has to do with Jesus. Of course, the church has affirmed the traditional Jewish reading of this text in addition to this reading, though, we read the whole of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, in the light of Jesus. And the Song of Solomon is no different. The Song of Solomon is no different. We read it in the light of Jesus. And one thing I didn't know before preparing this week is that the Song of Solomon is one of the most beloved texts of the early church. It has the most commentaries written about it in the first thousand years of Christianity than Genesis, the first book in the Bible, or the Psalms, which is the hymn book of the Bible, which is, you know, it's pretty tough to beat Genesis and the Psalms, but it comes in third to those two, which seems crazy that this little love poem would be so beloved. It makes sense, though, once you read the early church commentators you know, listen to what St. Ambrose, Bishop of Milan, again, one of those guys, you know, Ambrose, Bishop of Milan, 6th century. <laughs> you remember Ambrose? No. But here's what he says about this passage. This is Ambrose. Arise, come, my dearest one, he says, quoting, quoting this particular passage. He says, this means... Arise from the pleasures of the world. Arise from earthly things and come to me, Christ says, you who still labor and are burdened because you are anxious about worldly things. Come over the world. Come to me because I have overcome the world. Come near, for now you are fair with the beauty of everlasting life. Come near for your affair with the beauty of everlasting life. For Ambrose, the call to the, of the lover to his beloved, come, arise, and run away, is the call of Christ to his disciples to give up their burdens, fixations, and anxieties to follow him into a whole new and beautiful world and way of life. And he continues it. I mean, at least for me, it gets even better. It gets better. Winter is now past, he says. Winter now is past, which means the pardon is come. Forgiveness of sins has arrived. Temptation has ceased. The rain is gone. The storm is gone. And the affliction before the coming of Christ is the winter. And after his coming, there are flowers. Before the coming of Christ is the winter, says Ambrose, and after his coming, there are flowers. Winter, 
here? Is the world in all of its darkness, hopelessness, and despair? It's us in our sin and shame. With the arrival of Christ, these chains have been broken by his self-giving love. By his cross, we are forgiven. And in his resurrection, the world has been set free, given new and fresh hope. Winter is over. In the same way, spring buds break through ice and snow. Spring has come. The third reason the Song of Solomon is in the Bible is because it points us to Jesus and the hope we have in his resurrection. It's an allegory or a symbol for Easter. It's a sign. It points us to Easter. God is faithful to us in life and in death and beyond, calling us out of the tomb with Christ. I love it. I love it. I love this stuff. I mean, I'm, I know that I'm a bit of a nerd, but hopefully you at least love it a little bit more now that I said it. As much as I love it, though, I know that it can be a tough thing to believe at any time that the winter is over. I mean, we're literally heading into fall, right? It's a tough thing to believe at any time, let alone now we're presented with one crisis after another after another in our world. And though we thought the long pandemic season was behind us, we've got to grab our masks out of the trash can and wear them again. You know, and fall for us and winter our uncertainty yet again. And many of us are feeling a kind of demoralizing deja vu. When will the clouds disperse for good? Yet another false thaw before more of that same old gray. Yet, the Song of Solomon is in the Bible to give us a hope to cling to in all seasons. First, it tells us that our human loves and romantic desires reveal a deeper love at work in all things. Second, it offers a reminder of God's unbreakable fidelity and fierce love for us, even in our times of darkness. And finally, it reveals that this love is so fierce and so faithful that he sent his only son to retrieve us from the winter of sin and despair towards the eternal spring of salvation. The song is in the Bible as witness to Jesus through whom we have been given an eternal patience, peace, and everlasting hope. Meaning, we have no need to give in to despair, not now, not ever, because in Christ, spring is always around the corner. In Christ, spring is always around the corner. Seeing as how this is a poem, I think I'll just end this sermon with a couple of other pieces of poetry, and you're like, who is this guy? Hey, college boy. Like, more poetry? Give me a break. I kid, of course. Sort of. Maybe you feel that way. That's okay. The first 
is a hymn that you can find in Voices United number 165. If you want to break it open right now, you can feel free to. You can do that, or you can listen. It's an Easter hymn called, Come, You Faithful, Raise the Strain. And the words are by John of Damascus, who wrote in the 8th century. Again, you know John of Damascus, right? No. <laughs> <sighs> I love this. This is we, I'm getting callbacks here. I'm getting responses from the crowd today. It's, it's wonderful. Here's what John says. Tis the spring of souls today. Christ has burst his prison. And from three days sleep in death as a sun has risen. All the winter of our sins, long and dark, is flying. From his light to whom we give loud and praise undying. Or, in the words of a certain St. George Harrison of Liverpool, it's been a long, lonely winter. I know it's been days since it's been clear, but here comes the sun. Here comes the sun, and I say, it's all right. Arise, beloved, and come away, because every little thing's going to be all right. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I must say, I've really enjoyed that sermon. <laughs> Hope, yeah. Hope and love. And let's sing about it. The King of Love. Would you like to stand?
Please remain standing and join me in affirming the faith of the church, universal by reciting together the ancient Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now is the time for the prayers of the people. We have three prayer requests this morning. We have a prayer request from Nancy Milligan, Milliken, sorry, our property committee chair. She was uh, trying to be a branch manager. And, uh, sorry, <laughs> and she broke her arm. She's doing well, but asks for prayer for a speedy recovery and gratitude for staff and service at the Comox Valley Hospital. Number two, we have a prayer request for Muriel Nadeau. Muriel is in the hospital awaiting placement in assisted living, and we pray for this to come about soon. We have a prayer request for Annika Myers, who remains in hospital. It's not clear what the next steps are for her to be discharged. Please pray for her healing and well-being in this uncertain time. Basically, most prayers are about hope. So let us bring our prayers of intercession to God. And this is participatory. When I say, arise, God of love, you respond, come to our aid. Arise, God of love. This takes a minute or two. Lean into it. These words are beautiful. Let us pray. Beloved one, you have called us to your embrace, and our hearts overflow with your goodness. Your power endures forever. You reign with justice and love righteousness. Let the fragrance of your love and the grace on your lips anoint us now as we pray for the church, the creation, and all those in need. Arise, God of love, come to our aid. Unshackle your church from bondage to human tradition that we may worship you freely and serve others with a pure heart. Arise, God of love, come to our aid. Redeem and renew your creation to bud, blossom, and bring forth fruit as we care for the land and love one another. We especially pray for your creation and your people, stressing under the weight of wildfires and extreme weather events. Arise, God of love, come to our aid. Extend your reign of compassionate justice in our nations and neighborhoods as we unite with people of goodwill to do right for those in need. We pray especially for the people of Afghanistan, men, women, and children who fear for their safety and their future. 
Arise, God of love, come to our aid. Let us embrace the distressed, the diseased, the devalued, the denied. Cause us to care for the abandoned, the bereaved, the weak, and the weary. Arise, God of love, come to our aid. Make us be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let us persevere in your perfect law of liberty and bless us to do your word. Arise, God of love, come to our aid. Clothe those we remember now, aloud or in the silence of our hearts, with your fragrant grace and renewing love. Arise, God of love, come to our aid. Blessed forever are those who have answered your invitation. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. They now rest in your embrace. We especially remember your children, Hetty Waldy and Ruth Buick. Bless us now to follow in their footsteps of faith. Arise, God of love, come to our aid. Anointed with your oil of gladness, let our prayers rise as fragrant incense before you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As children turn to a mother who watches over them, let us turn to God with the prayer Jesus taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. now that we've offered our prayers to God, we offer our lives in, the ter in terms of time, talent, and treasure for God's mission in the world. Um, in terms of opportunities for ministry, there still are spots for those who would like to sign up for, uh, to help with after-church outdoor refreshments. That is in the narthex. Remember, that's the fancy church word for the entranceway. There's a sign-up sheet. If you'd like to know more, Heather, right there. Talk to her after church, and she can tell you what it's all about. And, um, and uh, we give of our time and talent, and we also give of uh, our financial resources for God's, the sake of God's mission. Um, everything that we do and everything in life belongs to God, and we offer up these offerings as a symbol of our commitment to God, a response to God's faithfulness to us. And there are many ways to give. You can text to give. The, uh, text your amount uh, to the number that's on the screen. You can go to the church website, uh, stgeorgesunited.com slash give. You can e-transfer donations at stgeorgesunited.com. There is an offering box in the narthex 
in on, that you can put it in on your way out or your way in, or you can drop off checks, mail them in, what have you, to the church office anytime. And we are simply grateful for uh, your commitment to God's mission. And we've been able to continue things like the Sunshine Lunch Club and uh, other vital ministries like worship <laughs> throughout uh, this, uh, this year and giving us a sense of stoking God's hope in us. And uh, we'll be listening to a recording of um, something called Song of Peace by J.W. Pepper by uh, a duet by Kathy Groves and Heather Pittman as we offer up our gifts. The offering will be received.
please remain standing as we will uh, uh, say together our offering prayer, offering our gifts, uh, back the gifts that God has given us back to God for God's mission in the world. Join me in the prayer, please. We bring our gifts to you, O oh God. Here is the work of our hands, and here is the love of our hearts. Accept them and use them through Christ our Lord. Amen. And please remain standing, and we're going to sing a song called Spring Has Come. You might find some sort of pattern in the songs that we're singing in the scripture. And of course, I say this every time we sing this, but this is written by a, a New Zealand uh, songwriter. And, uh, and as you may know, that our spring is not their spring, right? So uh, at Easter, they're heading into the darker seasons of the year. And this song is meant to be a proclamation of the resurrection, the springtime of the church, the springtime of creation, God's eternal promise of life for all. So let's sing, The Spring Has Come. into the world knowing that the winter time is over and spring has come arise and follow Christ into the new creation and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be yours this day and every single day amen <laughs>